what is the chance that you can base all your scholarship applications on asking Google questions like, um, Google, how do I make a killer academic CV? Or Google, how do I write a killer SOP? <laughs> I'm not sure if that is what you are looking for here. And it was not what I was said to hear as well when I thought about interviewing Bekila for this podcast series. Well, I'm really sorry to disappoint you, but it was actually as simple as that. Maybe not so simple, but someone got the first scholarship they ever applied for by asking Google questions like this. I mean, one thing that is going to strike you is that I hope that people can gain inspiration from my story, but it's not the idea. One, I applied for scholarship once. That was my first try. And two, no one proffered my essays. Like no one had to go through and check my essays on what I didn't even know. Like it's not as if I wasn't giving anyone because I was so proud about it. I wasn't giving anyone because I didn't even know about it. It's such a funny story, but... <laughs> I mean, to be frank, I have actually ask Google questions like this in the past and the results were um you know <laughs> love letters Hi, my name is Yemi Siojo, and this is What We Made of Chaos podcast, the Love Letter series. Love Letters is a podcast series about scholarship rejections and attempts. And beyond scholarships, it tells a more foundational story of ambition, dreams, and the stuff of success. Unfortunately, or should I say fortunately? <laughs> I don't know. My guest story does not fit into the criteria for what we have conceptualized as love letters. This means having a lot of rejections before the final breakthrough. And no, Mekila did not have rejections practically. What he had, however, is a very interesting backstory. You know, I, I'm very much convinced that um, so much about how we react to things, you know, they're a reflection of what we went through as children. And, you know, that kind of shape us in the future. I am Mikila. I am Cameroon from Bamenda, because the beautiful city, the best place in the world. <laughs> but, you know, I grew up in a family of three and we were all boys. You know, it was like a military camp. And <laughs> fortunately, I was the youngest. So you have elders and brothers. For me, very, you know, when I grew up, I just, I grew up with classmates. You know, my family was poor, but we were not like the poorest that you have in the village, you know. People around us thought we had an average life compared to the others we were poor. But when we were going to school, like those really came from very poor homes. They used to have some charities that would come and distribute food to them. Some charities would pay their fees. I remember we had this missionary priest who came to my, like the village I grew up in. He took care of so many families. He adopted their children. He sent some abroad. You know, so I grew up with that kind of mentality that you just have to be this good boy and someday someone will come and help you out of your mess and stuff like that. But that was not what happened. At my early teenage uh, year, there was a family crisis that had a serious impact on me. One of my parents was not available, you know, emotionally to me. It was a shock. I mean, it kind of woke me up. And from that 
experience, I realized that no, you don't have to, you know, just sit there and thinking that, you know, someday um, a savior will come down and pick you up. If you want anything in this life, you have to go there and grab that thing. You have to go out and get that thing. Like no one owes you something. Like you shouldn't expect much from people. People can be good to you and they give you something, but don't have that expectation mindset. This person is supposed to do this to me. Don't be entitled. If you want something, work for it. And I feel like that's very important because like um, the story I'm going to share right now, you realize that it is the manifestation of that conviction. And if there is one thing that I want listeners to pick out of this is that, look, if you want something, roll up your sleeves, go out there and get that thing. Look, so often my parents are still together. My mom and my dad, you know, I'm so fortunate that both of my, my parents are alive. And so in my family, my mom, went to primary school but she got married at that time that you know that husbands are going to be like my wife cannot be working so my mom could not apply for a government job so she was a proper housewife you know the marriage in the 80s and then my dad had a a, a job with the government but he got laid off at about um before, just two years before i was born so that was like uh, a shock to the family because he was you know the lone guy who was educated in the extended family and, you know, he used to support the Lord, but it got kind of made him fall into poverty and stuff like that. But when I was growing up, I felt like I was really emotionally attached to my dad. But my my dad, like he, I, I mean, there was a point that he was really drunk, like everyone in the, like the neighborhood, they knew him. And, you know, I even knew when my dad was coming back home because, you know, kids will be running around him and they'll be shouting. He's so drunk that he will just be shouting and stuff like that. The striking thing is my dad had a source of income because even when they laid him off, he got a job with the local council. But, you know, I'm sure he stopped paying my fees after primary school. So my mom would work in her farms and she was the one paying the fees. You know, I didn't know that. Like, I remember one time as a kid, you know, like they'll get you, as, like we used to call it in, in Cameroon, like a slippers, you know, something that you wear, like like a sandals or so. So mine was bad. I went to my my dad and told him, so he sent me to my mom. Then my mom went the next day and got me a new one. So I didn't know that that was how reality was. It was my mom taking the responsibility. And then my mom enrolled me in a government secondary school at first. And I had, I school there like for two years. I had friends that were so terrible. You know, my mom felt like if I remain in this school, I'll be a village champion. You know, these gangsters around. <laughs> yeah, so she decided to send me to a Catholic boarding school. It was terribly expensive. So she used to work in our farms. When I'll come back, like, basically, this was so dramatic. The last day that I'm going to school, she's going to sell everything that she harvested. And they should put the money in my hands to go and pay my fees. Look, each time I came back home, my mom had this one shoe, one gown that she used to wear to church. I just thought that that was her favorite. You know, she had so many of them and that was her favorite. She used to have that like for two years. It was just when I got to her room one day and that was, those are the lone things I saw in a wardrobe. Like that one pair of shoe and that one gown. And she was spending crazy amount of money to sponsor me like to pay my fees. So, I mean, it used to strike me a lot. Why is my dad working? And then he doesn't pay for my fees. He doesn't even give me the pocket allowance. He doesn't even buy books. So I had this, my eldest brother went to the university when I was still like 15 years old in secondary school, you know, and I respected this guy a lot. He was a good guy, but when he went there, he joined, I don't know, all these gangs that they always join at schools. And then he began, like he got into the smoking and drug stuff. So when he came back home, he was a very changed person. Long story short, there was one day that I had a family meeting and he fought with my dad. 
And my dad was like, okay, this is it. He's going to disown us. We are no longer his children. And, you know, he left the house and I was there. That's when, you know, this thing really hit me. And my mom was there, you know, like that. All I had in that that point of my life was my mom. And guess what? My mom still went to her farms. You know, she used to go, I mean, she would work in the farms and then come back, sell everything, send me to school. Look, I used to be very excellent academically in school, like very bright student. Most people thought I was intelligent, like, you know, this kind of gifted nerds and stuff. I wasn't that way. It's just that each time I went to school and I thought of what my mom was going through, I told myself I couldn't afford to say her, you know, what my brothers had done. I was her last hope, you know, if I failed, she's, she's literally just going to kill herself. Like I couldn't just afford to fail her. So that was it. Like it gave me the kind of mentality, like there's no one to look up to. You just have to go out there and get what you want to get. I, I feel like the greatest influence that I, that had on me was that I just knew that I had this very strong mom who raised a very strong child and I don't have to be reliant or I don't have to have this kind of victim mentality. Like you have to wait for someone to do something for you. Look, right now, the way my mentality works generally right now is that I can do everything unless I am proven otherwise. So if you tell me, make it like a new fly a plane yeah of course i kind of fly a plane but i know that when i get there that's how a very huge impact on how i see things i remember when we came for mastercard and even masters we were looking for a job like look uh i am the first mastercard student who studied aid who got a job who was still doing his program like before i completed my program yeah before us people used to say oh like when you come for aid it's difficult to get a job development sector is so crazy but if you are doing tech it will be easier but you know i had this kind of mentality i can do everything unless you are improving otherwise and i've been in the uk i completed it's not up to one year but i've had three jobs like i've changed job twice and i have class classmates that i haven't had a job yet no i am not saying that um those that haven't had it they are not doing well but i'm just saying that you know that kind of mentality that you grow up and then you feel like i mean you cannot afford to be uh to just feel defeated and don't want to give in your best yeah Now, the first thing I'd like to say is when I went to the university, like the program I was doing, I read philosophy. I had no clear idea what I was going to do with a philosophy degree after. I had so many questions, like why did I even choose this degree and stuff like that in my first year and second year and stuff. But one thing was clear to me at that moment, all I was interested about was just having the best result I could have in philosophy. Because I knew that if you have the best as a result, you're always going to find something to do with this degree after. <laughs> I didn't want to become a priest or a pastor. I asked myself, what the hell are you doing with a philosophy degree? Because most of my classmates were religious people, you see. And the thing is, going through the university, when I was in my first year, if you had asked me that, that would I apply for a scholarship, I wasn't even thinking about it. And it's so dramatic. This is what happened. I used to be very active in school. I was in the SU, like at the second year, I was the vice president. Then I was the president. So I had this guy who had applied for MasterCard Foundation in Edinburgh for the undergraduate stuff, and he didn't get in. He wasn't a very close friend. I mean, he was just this acquaintance, but he used to admire how I did things. So one day we went out for, you know, just like, the extracurricular activities. He came up to me and told me that, Nekila, look, I applied for this scholarship. It's called MasterCard. They didn't take me. But if you apply for it, they are going to pick you because I know why they didn't pick me. They didn't pick me because I didn't have, you know, this kind of 
community engagement kind of stuff that uh, that you are doing right now. I know you are intelligent. I know you are very vibrant. You are active in the community. You are in various groups. Just give it a shot. So when he told me that, I told him like I was going to say into it. And then two weeks after, he came back and asked me, have you looked into it? I did. So like he knew me very well. That once I'm excited about something, I'm just going to search it. I'm just going to, you know, but once something doesn't excite me, you know, I don't take, once I don't take interest, I'm just going to be lukewarm. So what I noticed about my earlier application rejections is that, of course, unlike Makila, I didn't have a first class. And my second class upper was, you know, about 3.95 out of 5.0. I had to do more and be more committed to this journey. So even though I love to volunteer, I became more intentional about my volunteering journey. I crafted stories around it in many applications. And this is often a requirement for many scholarships that seek leadership experience. It also works if you don't particularly have like um, job experience to add to your CV. But generally, you want to show the scholarship teams that you are more than your school grades. It was also something that stood out for Mikila in his MasterCard scholarship application. So he took upon himself, he wrote to the MasterCard team in Edinburgh, just asking them like, when are you going to open there? you know, the intake for 2020, 2020, 2021, when is the intake? They replied to him, saying that the window is going to be in from the 1st of September. So we can submit our applications from the 1st of September. I'm sure it was September, yes. So when he came back and showed me the reply, that is when I knew that it was serious. And that is all he needed to do. And I took it from there. So I had never applied for a scholarship. That was the first time. I didn't know anyone who had applied for a scholarship. And and got it. And I was so naive. It didn't, it didn't even occur to me that like, let me go to LinkedIn or let me go to, you know, the like MasterCard website and try to look for the scholars and contact them and stuff like that. So I just went to the application site and they were like, you know, write an application, do your CV. I didn't have a CV. Yummy. So like, you know, you need a CV. So I went on Google, how do you write an academic CV? So I self-taught myself how to write an academic CV. I produced an academic CV. I kept the salary. I went for the, the scholarship application. They, 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 they were like, you know, write a personal statement. Went back to Google. How do you write a killer personal statement in like scholarship applications? So I saw several personal statements in scholarship applications. And I, you know, so much research went into that. And I tried to weave my story into like the best ones that I saw. That, that is how I did the whole thing. Like all the questions, everything that I was asked to do, I went on Google and just asked, like, try read and read. I'm sure it took me a month to come up with a scholarship application because I was researching on it like daily, almost every day. And and uh, I applied to Mastercard in in Edinburgh, Mastercard in McGee, and Mastercard in UBC. Now the Mastercard in UBC didn't even bother to get back, so I did that. That one, the sky just burned me. <laughs> and, yeah, and then when Mastercard was from the University of of this Edinburgh, I least expected them to get back to me. When they got back to me and they were like, "We want to have an interview with you on Skype." I didn't have Skype in my laptop. So I was like, you know, I went back to Google. How do you conduct an interview on Skype? You know, so I read everything about Skype interview. I went to YouTube. How do you conduct an interview on Skype? I watched several videos on YouTube. And then, yeah, I downloaded Skype and installed it on my laptop. It great challenge that I faced was when they invited me for interview, I knew no one, MasterCard, who had done the interview before. I didn't know what the 
questions were going to be. And my way out has always been to go to Google and try to find out the past, like the questions. But there was nothing there about MasterCard. All I saw there were the questions for Chevini, the questions for is he said as much as the Mundus, if, if I thought totally have that. The only MasterCard I saw was for UBC, but those guys didn't pick me. So I just went and did everything I could do, downloaded Skype and then had the call. The thing is, the, the next person who knew and applied for a scholarship, my best friend, he knew it when I gave him the offer letter to read. Like so. So in Cameroon, universities are very much like the French system. So instead of four years of undergraduate, we have three years of undergraduate. But I spent four years in undergraduate because the first year, the Anglophone crisis, which is currently going on in Cameroon, erupted. And, you know, they shut down schools and we stayed home for one year. So when I came back, I had to repeat the, the level one again. But I applied for MasterCard scholarship in my second year. Therefore, I got this the scholarship before I wrote my final exams. So they gave me the scholarship in April. I was to complete my undergraduate in July. One of the things that I did that I felt like went into it, you know, most people think that for a scholarship, and that is why you need to have a first class or a second class, you need to be academically bright. You know, that's not wrong. That's right. But that's not all that goes into it. Like, you know, so much about community involvement, because I feel like there is Scholarship people are spending thousands of pounds on you and you have to prove to them that you deserve it. And what they are interested in, they don't just want to have an academic giant, but you have no impact. They want to make sure that they are training you to go back and impact your, your society, your community. So if you don't have basics, like, you know, these are the things that you have been doing, it will be difficult for you to break through. So I, I like the Anglophone crisis was was hitting in Cameroon then. So I used to work in several NGOs, like to volunteer with them, to reach out to IDPs, the refugees and stuff like that. And then in school, I used to be also very active. Like I used to be, like I told you, there's, I was the SU vice president in my, my second year. Okay, the first year in school, I was the, like my, my first year, I was the president of the debates club. The second year, I was the vice president of the SU. The third year, I was the president of the SU. So I was that popular. So I was that, you know, like doing many things, reaching out, like that kind of out and I felt like that helped me a lot because when I was applying for a scholarship, the first thing is I had good, you know, referees, you know, people who were like, this guy is doing this great stuff. And that helped me carve a story like there is a problem in my society, but I am doing something about it. What I am doing is not enough. So what I want you people to do is to help build my capacity so that I can continue doing what I am doing right now in a in a in a in a higher scale. And then talking about my results in Cameroon, the grading system is like GPA, like is on four. So if you have three point five, that's a first class. So I completed with a GPA of three point nine two. No, in Cameroon, if you have fifty to sixty, it's a C grade. If you have sixty to seven. It's a B grade. If you have like, no, if you have sixty to eighty, it's a B. Then eighty to one hundred and eight. All through my undergraduate years, I never had a C, and I had a B, and I had a B grade once. And that was in French. <laughs> That's because I don't know French. <laughs> and look, and like I'm, like I keep saying, it's not, it's not as if I'm intelligent. It's not as if I'm a nerd. I'm a naturally gifted guy. No, I knew what my mom was going through. And that was a lot. So I was like, you know, I had to fight for this. I had to get this. I told myself I could not afford to fail. I have to succeed. And that is what I keep telling myself right now. I cannot afford to fail. So one thing I'm going to say is, um, you know, stories are different. People's stories are different. But, you know, what we find in, in other stories is an inspiration to help us. Uh, like to, to do our own things and to carry what like the burdens that we have. Look, 
there are some popular things that people keep thinking. First class is important, but, you know, professional experience, professional experience doesn't just mean, you know, having a proper job, you know, all this community engagement is very, very important. And the second thing I would like to say is networking is very good for a scholarship. Like you need to reach out to people even before I get to networking. Like if you want to apply for a scholarship, if you are hoping to get a scholarship, first thing you need to do is research research and research and research what are, what are the scholarships out there which ones am I eligible for what do they need and stuff like that you know I get people who write to, to me on LinkedIn that like hey um, that like please I would like to come and like to come and do, do do my masters in the UK. Do you have some some like some scholarship headlines? Well, that's a good try because some effort has gone into composing that 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 message. But if the person had wrote something like, "Hey, I would like to come and do my masters in the UK. I've realized that I'm eligible for this funding, this scholarship, and this and this and this scholarship." I was wondering if you knew any that I had om- omitted, such that I can add to my list. Now that is a serious person, like. You are just going to help that person, help that person. Some people are so unserious that they even want to research that, you know, you send a, a scholarship link to a WhatsApp group and they keep asking you, bro, when is the deadline? I mean, it's right there. They just need to click that link and open it, and, but they won't do it. And I'm asking myself, look, studying in Europe is difficult. Like if you don't have the academic, you know, resilience just to work basic research like that how do you want to come here and because it's academically intense like, to be honest like if you're studying in europe you are going to realize it, it's academically intense and you just need to prepare yourself for stuff like that the second thing i want to talk about is networking very important you know there's a saying in cameroon that those who crown kings don't don't look like kings themselves you know like those who have the connection like like for example this is my friend that i'm talking about he just he gave me a notch that's all i needed like and then i took all over you cannot do it all alone don't be like me you know i i don't hold myself out as a that's a model because this is perfectly the grace of god if i want to do what i did again i'm going to fail and i know that very well and then the, the third thing that i wanted to conclude on is um you know be the hero of your story once you are narrating your story your scholarship success let everyone who listens to that story be able to nod the head and say that this guy this girl if she had this thing that she had, she'd labor for it. Because to be honest, no one will apply for a scholarship for you. You just have to do it. I mean, for, don't just, but like, if you look at what I did, how do you do this? I went to Google, how do you do this? How do you do this? I'm not saying that everybody should be, be like that, but have a level of enthusiasm that even on your own, you can carry. You don't have to rely on people to be like, like, you have to help me to do this. You have to look, if you need anything, like I said, you know, in this world, the responsibility falls on one person, and that is you. I mean, if you think like this, it's not as if that is how the world operates. People help each other. But if you have a mindset that if you need anything, the responsibility falls on you, you are going to excel twice the level that you would have excelled if you were reliant on the others because people are going to help you. But once you are strong enough, that help is only going to make you uh, do even better. So, yeah, those are the few things that I could share from my story. And... It's so striking, like, this is why I kept saying that it was the grace of God, because, okay, now I, I applied for McGee and in Edinburgh. I was rest assured that I'll be taking for McGee. But McGee, the results came out two weeks before the results from the University of Edinburgh. And look at it. This is what they told me. Hey, we have placed you on a wait, on a wait list. Now, tell us if anything happens after two weeks that affects their eligibility to pick up the scholarship. 
when I was applying for MasterCard in Monkey, they asked me if I apply for any MasterCard, you know, in, in another school. So I highlighted the University of Edinburgh there. I told them, apparently they might have communicated because this is what happened. Like when they told me that they have placed you on the wait list, tell us if anything happens after two weeks. Immediately two weeks after I got the offer from the University of, of Edinburgh. And the guys in Maggie wrote back to me asking, has anything happened? I was so angry that I could not actually reply. I was like, look at you, I'm applying to come to Canada. I tell you, like, yeah, yeah, so... <laughs> I asked Mikila the question I always ask in every episode. Tell me how you felt when you got the scholarship. <laughs> what do you think? You remember the date, the time exactly. And well, something a little different. He kept the news to himself for about two weeks because he just could not believe he actually got it. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. So, no, see, the whole thing is I'm not so happy. Like, um, the invitation for this invite for interview came on my birthday on the 19th of March and the, in, and the, the scholar, you know, I had gone out with my friends. I came back about seven o'clock in the night. I was, I just took my email address. I saw the invite for interview. And then that's when I realized I had to download Skype and all the rest of the things that I did. Yeah. And then the scholarship came on the 20th of April. I remember very well, Monday, 430 was so you know i shouted in my room i didn't even tell my best friend it was like two weeks after that i told my best friend i told my my parents like one month after i couldn't believe it i was in shock i was in shock i could and then the thing is i didn't have a passport so mastercard was like we are going to send you some cash to do your passport and tb test so i was like for me to know that before i tell my parents i raise expectation this guy should send them money that's when i know that it's important when they send the money that's when i knew that this thing is serious so yeah I know, I know, I know what you're talking about. You know, one of the shocks that I have is that most people who leave all the excitement when we leave Africa and come here, the first three months we go into depression. Like it's a, I'm not sure if that's what you went through, but I have many friends. That's even something that happened to me. We kind of build this expectation back home. You know, you're studying in Europe, you're studying in the UK, you're studying in Germany, you know, and, you know, you come here and it doesn't quite match an expectation. Looking back, I felt like there was this thing I really struggled with, the cultural shock. Like, for example, I came in at the heart of COVID and then other lockdown in my room. And it was really a struggle. Like, is this what I've been praying for, doing all these stuff for? And it's very possible to get derailed in, like, to just come here and forget about, you know. One thing I've realized is when you come to study in Europe, it's like a rebirth. All those ambitions, those motivations that you had back home, they kind of die for a moment. And then you start work thinking yourself, asking yourself afresh, like, what am I doing here? Like, what do I want to get out of this program? And those back home, they don't make it any better. You know, like you just come here the next day, your friends think that now you have a million pounds in your account and <laughs> all they have to do, all they have to do is help you, you know, help you, you know, spend that that um, a million pounds in your account and it's it's so sad it was a difficulty settling in the uk i know it's going to shock people many people back home but that's all true it was a difficulty settling in europe at one point i felt like i needed to talk to a counselor or something but you know with time you get adjusted to it and then you know try to find your way around and stuff like that i i always have this 
this this policy, if I see any black in school in the University of Edinburgh when I was there, there were two things in mind, you know. Either this black, this black girl guy is very rich, super rich. The parents are sponsoring the guy or the girl here, or he's super intelligent, you know. <laughs> he came here on a scholarship. So I was always making those networks. I know that if I'm not letting any black guy go, right, this guy has something to offer, or this girl has something to offer. That was my policy. And but you know, to go back to the question, I feel like you know, there's an aspect of it that is overhyped, and you come here, the reality shocks you. But we are all strong enough, you know, we have made it out of Africa and come here, we can probably make it. I've had people who have come here and they want to go back home just for a break to go and meet their parents, to go. And, but those are people that when they were in Nigeria or Cameroon, you ask them when you go to Germany, are you going to want to come back here for a break? They're going to tell you, look, me and Nigeria will meet again in the next life. But when they come here, that's, that's the best thing they want to do. So yeah, there's an aspect of it that is overhyped and there's an aspect of it that, you know, is... It's, it's a struggle. That's what most people fail to understand. It's a struggle, actually. Thank you for listening to this episode of Love Letters. I hope you have enjoyed listening to Makila's story and felt inspired by it as I did. Feel free to send feedback to my mail at yemecojoliz at gmail.com. And do subscribe to the, the Made of Girls podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts to follow the rest of the series where I bring you more love letters or at least something that looks like it. Special thanks to Makila for sharing the story. And Jude Hinden from the Made of Girls podcast team has always been doing a great job to get the words out. So I'm grateful for that. And have a great week and uh, good luck with your applications if you're applying this application season. <laughs> Bye.